Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. The first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. You see it on the news. You see it on the paper. You see it on Facebook. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. These extreme, rare things that you think could never happen to you or anyone you know really can, whether that's you know, violent crime, crossing paths with serial killer, like these things can happen. So this whole process has been me, you know, looking at what my assumptions were and having them be proven wrong. And, you know, even my assumptions kind of about human nature. Hey guys, welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting across from Alexis Linkletter and next to Billy Jensen, who is wearing an interesting pair of socks that look like tree bark, but also vaginas. Wow, we're going straight there, aren't we? I, you know, I got to talk about what really comes to me. I understand. What do you think they look like? I think it looks like a damask pattern. All right. What do you think? think Ancient looked, I, France, you know what? I, Damask. It, it looked a little. Yes, I'll go with that. I don't know. I just thought they it's were a nice really, uh, mustard and brown. Mustard, um, mustard brown. The type palette of thing. is nice. Beautiful. Night. Very autumnal. Very autumnal. Mm-hmm. Jared would appreciate that because Jared's body is a autumnal, autumnal color. Mm-hmm. But it's I, almost like it has a snakeskin feel to it too, a little bit. Yeah. Well, it's it's a weird thing. Yeah. It's a weird thing going on. Uh, Billy also keeps um, messing up his mic, so we'll see how this goes. Tonight. It's on. It's on. Yep. We're good. Basically incompetent. This guy. Basi- yeah. Basically. This is. It's. We're starting to record right now. It's maybe almost ten p.m. It's nine thirty. Way past my bedtime. So right. we'll we'll see how I I fare for the rest of the episode. Well, well, you're. We're here to support you. Thank you. Through yes. this really difficult time. Somebody had a very important meeting at a very important restaurant. Yeah, guys, Craig's in LA is a weird spot. It's supposed to be like an LA hot spot for all the celebs. Did you see any we're celebs impressed. there? Uh, we were sitting next to Cindy Crawford. That's a good one. That's a good it, was, one. it was a good celeb sighting. Um, and then Josh Flagg, who was Becca's realtor that is on Million Dollar Listing, was also next to us. That's really funny. <laughs> Um, but other than that, yeah, it's weird. They have tablecloths. It's dark and like kind of yucky vibes, but yucky. Vibes. Apparently it's the LA hotspot. Shit. Well, crossing that off my list. I'm Who, the hotspot queen. Yeah. I don't want to go there again. Um, Billy, what day is it today? It's, it's the day before. But yes. It's the many, day before Halloween. Many so, people's favorite holiday. Yes. So we, we, you know, it's typically considered mischief night is not good but i'm gonna go with happy haunted refrigerator night oh that was that was an interesting one my favorite or not favorite one is national text your ex day 
I dare not. <laughs> I also dare not. I dare not. Okay. Well, that's enough of that. So let's turn down the lights and turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you. Today's episode confronts not only universally understood horrors of brutal violence, but also the mostly unseen implications that homicide elicits in the hearts of those left behind. From that childhood relationship with a best friend you thought would never end, to the moment you realize how far you have drifted apart, to differences, assumptions, the conflicts we never moved past, and the feelings revealed when people are taken from us without warning, before we ever had a chance to say goodbye. Homicide, in a sense, epitomizes the concept of stolen time. And the thing about time is that we always think that we'll have more. When you think about Hollywood, what comes to mind? Fame, money, the Sunset Strip, sex, drugs, rock and roll, nightclubs, or celebrities? Hollywood is all of those things. And we know because we live here. Right now, we're sitting a few blocks from the famous Hollywood Boulevard right in the middle of it all. So what does this say about the people who flock here from all over the country to settle in the 30.7 square miles under the Hollywood sign? People are drawn here for unknown reasons. The perceived glitz and glamour drew the 22-year-old Ashley Ellerin to Hollywood. And after she arrived, she made the most of her life here. She was confident. She dated celebrities. She was flown around the world. She curated a lifestyle that suited her and that she was not ashamed of. Ashley Ellerin was born in the Bay Area, but was raised in New Jersey. And while she was growing up, her best friend was a girl named Carolyn Murnick. I consider Ashley my first best friend. We met when we were eight or nine years old. So it was the fourth grade and we lived in a pretty rural area of New Jersey. And we went to public school and just sort of right away, uh, we started spending all our time together. She and I just bonded and we ended up, we both lived in sort of woodsy areas. So we spent a lot of time in each other's houses, sort of like playing in the leaves. We had cheap point and shoot cameras. We used to like to take pictures of each other all the time. We also started taking piano lessons from the same teacher and we used to, you know, have our lessons one after another and have duets that we played in the in the middle and then we you know went to art classes so I sort of I look back on that relationship as sort of everything kind of wholesome about childhood in the pre-internet age and you know this was before guys and drugs and sex and the things that can kind of start to separate kids as you go on to make different decisions around those things and her family moved to California, I believe, after our sophomore year of high school. After high school, Ashley moved to LA and ended up living in a yellow bungalow less than a mile from where we sit right now. Yeah. And in 2001, Ashley was going to the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising with the goal of breaking into the fashion industry. She was a young student. And as you do in your young 20s, she was playing the field and dating. She had recently broke up with her boyfriend, who was an acting coach. And she began casually dating and had been connected to a number of celebrities, including Vin Diesel and Law & Order's Jeremy Sisto. 
And Ashley visited Carolyn once after she moved to LA. And as what happens to many childhood friends, the two had grown apart since their grade school years. Yeah, Ashley came to visit me when I was, you know, in the middle of college and she stayed with me at my New York apartment. We went to have lunch with my mom because she, you know, she, we had known each other's families for growing up. And so my mom was interested in seeing her, too. And it was like the way she was talking in front of my mom, she was saying things like, you know, my mom was asking like, oh, are you, you're working and what are you studying? And Ashley was just kind of like not really interested in playing along and was saying things like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm doing some modeling and I'm. You know, some guy who's a t-shirt has a t-shirt line, like flew us all to Cancun to like you know, model these t-shirts. And she was telling some stories, but in a in a very in a very self-assured way. But they were clearly like, from my perspective, not parent-friendly stories. But she she really didn't seem to care. Really, within our first afternoon together, she started saying, you know, actually, I make a lot more money stripping and you know it's it's very easy and you know she was talking about experiences of working bachelor parties i know that she was maybe escorting in vegas you know she talked about yeah what the experience is like and how you sort of manipulate guys and you know what what kind of how you need a pedicure and a manicure every week because it's you know you've got to keep up the fantasy she did mention a few celebrity names i think i was just stunned and i was just sort of trying to keep up and i just i remember just feeling like this makes everything that I'm doing in my life seem completely irrelevant and stupid and like childish compared to what it seems like she's doing. But I remember feeling like, does she has, does she have it all figured out? Like she seems to be kind of enjoying herself a lot more than I am. It, it was really kind of was like breaking my brain at the time, but I did not have the maturity to express exactly why. So I'm going to do my best to articulate this in an insightful way. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with the life that Ashley was living. And Carolyn said so herself that back at this time, she didn't have the maturity to express why she was feeling the way she did about Ashley's lifestyle. And I think to put it in the most basic terms, we do fear what we don't understand. And we're all different. And we're all doing our best. And our college years are the source of great confusion and misunderstanding. And Carolyn and Ashley were living starkly different lives at this point. And your 20s is also a time where you care what people think. You just came out of high school where you were still sheltered and still have share sort of the beliefs of your peers. And I think this is something you grow out of, the judgments of others and things like that. But remember, they're 22 years old. So her reaction isn't that surprising. So the story is set in the early 2000s, February 21st, 2001, to be exact. And to help paint a picture, Outcast, Miss Jackson was number one on the charts. Saving Silverman, Head Over Heels, and Hannibal were in theaters. And February 21st started a great day for Ashley. Her dad was visiting from Los Altos and he was helping his daughter with some painting and remodeling of her bungalow. The two spent the day together and then she drove her dad to the airport later that night. And later on, she spoke twice to a guy she had plans with later on who she'd been casually dating. His name was Ashton. And this young man was not yet really known to the masses, but he did have this budding acting and modeling career ahead of him. His full name, Ashton Kutcher. Then Ashley's landlord came over to help her with some things, and his name was Mark. Ashley had been newly romantically involved with Mark, and he ended up coming over briefly for a little bit, then ended up leaving. 
Ashley called Ashton after Mark left and asked if she should meet him at a party where he was going to watch the Grammys. He told her no and that he'd end up meeting her at her place after to pick her up. So then Ashley started getting ready for Ashton to pick her up. And at 10 p.m., Ashley's roommate Jennifer arrived at the bungalow. They had been living together just for about six weeks at this point. So Jennifer parked her car, walked up to the little house that she shared with her friend. But when she got to the door, she realized that she had left her keys at her boyfriend's house. But she hoped that Ashley was home. So she knocked on the door for two minutes to be let in. Ashley didn't answer, which was odd because her car was parked out front and the lights were on. But Jennifer didn't think much of it because Ashley was one to leave the lights on. Maybe somebody had picked her up, she thought to herself. So Jennifer eventually gave up and went back to her boyfriend's where she slept that night. Right. And at around the same time, 10 p.m., Ashton called Ashley twice to let her know that he was on the way to pick her up. There was no answer. He figured it was either because he had bad reception in the Hollywood Hills or maybe Ashley was in the shower, blow drying her hair and couldn't hear her phone. A combination of all of these things. So he drove over to her place to get her anyway. He arrived at her house at around 10.45. Ashley's bungalow was lit up from the street with all the interior lights on. Her maroon BMW was in the driveway. It appeared from the outside that she was home, as Ashton was expecting her to be. He walked up to the door and knocked on it several times. He was starting to get the creeping suspicion that maybe Ashley was angry with him, that he didn't invite her to that Grammy party that she had called him about earlier. He knocked on the door again, and he knocked on the door again, but he was only met with more silence. So he looked into the front window. Inside, there was no sign of Ashley, but what he did notice was that red wine stains appeared to be on the floor in the hallway of the house. He didn't really think much of it and figured that she was trying to make a point. Maybe she had gone out with someone else. Maybe she was just blowing him off. So he gave up. He walked back to his car and he drove away. And the next morning at around 9 a.m., Ashley's roommate Jennifer returned back to the bungalow and now she had her keys. She walked in the door and everything seemed pretty normal until something appears in her view that she cannot compute. Ashley was lying on the carpet in the stretch of the hallway between the living room and the bedrooms. And for a split second, Jennifer thought that Ashley might have been joking around. She was really funny and maybe would have pulled a prank like that. But when she approached, there's so much blood and it was so red that she first thought it was paint. But when she came close to Ashley's face, it was blue. The lifeless form in front of her was really Ashley and Ashley was dead. So Jennifer ran out of the house and called 911 from her car. When the police arrived, they entered the apartment and saw Ashley. She was wearing a turquoise robe. She was lying on her back in a pool of blood. The wounds to her neck were so severe, it seemed to the police that someone had tried to decapitate her. And there was a V-shaped wound around the back of her neck, too. She was pronounced dead at 9.28 a.m. And the police noted the position of Ashley's body. Her legs were slightly apart. One sort of twisted in a strange way. It didn't appear to be natural, and perhaps she'd been moved. Right, and the scene itself was truly a thing of nightmares. LA Detective Tom Small, who was working out of the LAPD's Hollywood division, said of the scene, 
There's a lot of anger, a lot of rage. Somebody had isolated Ashley Ellerin to kill her and was very, very angry when he did it. It was just a very bad scene. Probably one of the worst I've seen. Blood spatter covered the walls and the ceiling. Blood soaked the rugs and pools on the tile bathroom floor. Ashley had obvious defensive wounds. She attempted to fight off what appeared to be an incredibly frenzied attack. And investigators could see that Ashley was getting ready for the night out when she was ambushed. Her blow dryer was on the toilet seat, her curling iron was plugged in, and it was still hot. The police shut the street down, her bungalow was taped off. Every shred of evidence was collected. A scene this bloody could suggest that either the attack was super personal or it showed a level of deviance possessed by whoever could have done this. And despite the fact that CSIs went through the scene with a fine tooth comb, there was no physical evidence that was found that could be used to identify the killer. Ashley's body was taken in for an autopsy as the LAPD mobilized an investigation. And all the while, the news of what had happened to Ashley was slowly spreading to her loved ones, one phone call at a time. The news reached her parents in Los Altos. And eventually the news reached the East Coast, where Ashley had grown up. And it blindsided friends from childhood and high school. At that point, I was still living in my college apartment um, in New York, and I... I was going home to visit my parents for the weekend, and I think that maybe my mom picked me up at the train and then took me to the house, and my dad had already read the paper and said, I have terrible news that I have, you know, Ashley's been murdered. And then we sat at the table and looked at the paper, and I felt, you know, I, I think immediately what I felt was numb. Ashley's autopsy revealed that whomever attacked Ashley was frenzied, and that was an understatement. She'd been stabbed a staggering 47 times. She had a slice on her hand as if she had grabbed the blade in self-defense. She was stabbed in the stomach, the upper body, the back, and the back of the head, almost decapitated, as Billy said earlier. And most of her wounds would have been fatal on their own because they were more than six inches deep, some of them. Oh, gosh. The medical examiner noted that the direction of the knife wounds seemed to be coming downward. The perpetrator had been on top of her and stabbed her while she was down. The sheriffs on the case described the killer as a, quote, modern-day Jack the Ripper. With 47 wounds, it was as if he wanted to inflict as many injuries as he could in the least amount of time. So the detectives are just trying to make sense of this scene and trying to deduce what was the motive, what was going on here. Nothing was stolen from the bungalow. There was a decent amount of cash that was left undisturbed. She was also wearing jewelry that the killer had no interest in. And Ashley's murder didn't seem to be motivated by rape or sexual assault. Under her robe, she was wearing a bra, pajama shorts, and a tank top. And none of these articles of clothing looked to be disturbed. The killer had incapacitated Ashley, but no rape or sexual assault was evident. So the police also observed that the windows of the bungalow were not only locked, but had security bars on them, which is a common thing in Los Angeles, Hollywood specifically. The front door was locked and it was behind a heavy metal screen door, also locked. There were no obvious signs of forced entry. Police dove in Ashley's life and learned that she was a sweet person who everyone seemed to love. 
She was also, though, in her early 20s, experimented and was testing life's boundaries. And as a gal who moved to Hollywood at 18, speaking for myself, it's a life I can relate to. You do a lot of weird stuff at that age when you're in this weird city. And it's not one to be ashamed of. It's not a phase to be ashamed of. It's a phase that's an implication of moving to L.A., at such a young and immature age and experiencing sensory overload, not really knowing yourself yet. Everyone who knew Ashley was interviewed and this was difficult because she was popular. She was social. Her social network was wide and far reaching and she was in the prime of her life and had an active dating life, which is not easy for an investigation. Right. And off the bat, there were a number of possibilities in terms of suspects. We've got Mark, the landlord, who was placed at the scene. We've got Ashton Kutcher, who was also placed at the scene. And we've got anyone else that she may have been romantically involved with. The murder of women is often prompted by a jilted lover or partner. So it's no surprise that the police were looking for a connection there. This sounds like a lot of people, but in modern day dating, if you were murdered... Any guy you were texting and some women, I know when I'm in my crazy dating phases, it could be multiple oh my God, people. Dozens. Right. So it's, it sounds worse than it is because there's no texting going on back then. But this is essentially the same thing as what is happening now. Right. And she was also apps. just a social person with a big social circle. So obviously the amount of people that she's in contact with on a daily basis yeah. is just larger than maybe a more secluded person. Yeah. Cause when you think about it, it's, it's, it's easier to find people now because you can go, if you get somebody's yeah, phone, like, you see everybody you that they're texting, everybody that they might've met on Tinder, everybody they might have, might have on Facebook if they're still using it, anybody that they've talked to on Instagram. But, um, so it's easier now, but you also had so many more people now than you might've back mm-hmm. then. Right. Because you had more access, so much access to people. To people that you you might not even know and haven't even met yet, but everything is going to be a clue for that. So right, so police are looking for connections. Who could be responsible? They're getting all their ducks in a row, trying to familiarize themselves with Ashley's routine with people in her life. And her friend Carolyn, back on the East Coast, was feeling a range of emotions, and she was so removed from Ashley's life in LA that she was left to just speculate based on essentially the last time she spent with her and it's when Ashley came to visit and she had these jarring revelations showed to her about what Ashley was doing so her imagination about what had happened was running wild you know of course my mind went to what I last knew about her a year and a half ago which was what that she told me that she was working as a stripper and also escorting and dating guys that were flying her you know around the world and different drugs that she was trying and you know the, I rocketed back to those feelings of just sort of disillusionment and confusion and feeling like wondering if I you know felt concerned about her or was that judgy but immediately when I saw the news in the paper I assumed that this must be connected to her to sex work or to drugs and that also I thought do I tell my parents this like do I tell my parents these you know secrets and I think back to that time, I just kind of, it's colored by sort of the confusion of young adulthood, you know, overall in a way. But the police, of course, are going to want to go to her circle of friends first and start with her romantic partners. And that includes Ashton Kutcher. And finding Ashton Kutcher was easy because the second he learned of what had happened to Ashley, he went to the police. And he told them that his fingerprints would be on her door and on her window and possibly in other areas of the house. 
And he walked them through the reason why he was at her house that night, explaining that he hadn't picked up on anything being amiss, which is why he didn't call 911 that night. He explained further that Ashley's place was sort of in disarray because of the painting that she and her dad were doing on the day of the murder, which is why the red stains that he had seen didn't stand out to him. They raised no alerts. And the police speak to Ashley's love interest and landlord named Mark. They learn that on the day of the murder, he had come over before Ashley had plans with Ashton. Mark told them that he and Ashley actually had sex that night. And then while he was getting ready to leave, Ashley asked him to stay and said that she didn't feel like going to the Grammy party with Ashton. But Mark had to leave because he was seeing somebody else, too. Remember, this is a new thing between them. So the woman Mark was seeing was due to meet up with him soon. They say goodbye. He locked the door and then blew Ashley a kiss as he walked out. I took French in high school, and I was so excited that we were going to France for Jack's wedding so I could practice my French, and it was only when I got there I realized just how rusty I'd gotten, and I wanted to communicate in French with the locals there so badly. If you can relate to this experience, then Rosetta Stone is right for you. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You can choose from one of 25 languages like Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, and Polish. Fast-track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a quick and natural way. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Rosetta Stone is so convenient, and it can be used on your desktop computer or as an app, with audio companion and ability to download lessons offline. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. So if you're a super busy person and you don't have time to go to the gym, or maybe you just don't even want to go to the gym and work out in front of a bunch of different people, you need to check out the Allo Moves app. I'm obsessed with this app. So it makes it easy to keep your wellness routine on track because they have everything in one place. There's yoga, there's Pilates, fitness classes, mindfulness, self-care tips, healthy recipes, and so much more. So either you're a beginner or you're an advanced person, Allo Moves has the flow or class that will fit your schedule. Their classes range from five minutes to an hour, depending on what you're feeling that day. So even if you only have five minutes, you can just get some movement in. I used Allo Moves all during the pandemic. It was amazing. Like I was on my yoga journey and I was obsessed with it. So you can find stress relief with meditations, affirmations, face yoga, gua sha, dry brushing, and journaling for those quiet moments, even if you don't really want to get a workout on. And when it comes to sleep, it's just important as fitness and nutrition, and they've got you covered with Allo Moves. So unlock your personal wellness routine with Allo Moves. Go to Allo Moves com and use code FIRST for an exclusive 30-day free trial and enjoy 20% off an annual membership. That's allomoves.com, code FIRST, A-L-O-M-O-V-E-S.com, code FIRST. Okay, so listen, we are busy ladies over here on The First Degree, and when I have a moment of free time, I don't want to spend it grocery shopping. I want to spend it rotting on the couch and watching reality TV, and that is why I love Thrive Market. So Thrive Market is a go-to for all of my grocery and household essentials, and the convenience of getting everything online then quickly shipped to my doorstop is such a 
a huge time saver. So Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They actually restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. So you can go on their website and use their filters to suit any of your lifestyle needs. If you're allergic to a certain ingredient, if you just don't want to have it in your life, that's why Thrive Market is so awesome. So whether you're looking for organic snacks for your kids or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free pantry essentials, you can curate your own shopping experience with just a few clicks. I love this so much because I don't want to read every ingredient when I go to the grocery store. It's so easy to do it online, honestly, when I'm rotting on the couch. So join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com first for 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com first. Thrivemarket.com first. Now, it's important to note that Mark actually lived in the same sort of area, complex, what have you, because bungalows in LA, for reference, they're like standalone little houses, but generally there are clusters of them. There'll be like six in a complex. It's like a detached apartment complex. Yeah. So they're standalone, but you know, sometimes they have a front gate or in a, in a courtyard between all of them. So that's what this is here. So Mark lived in the same bungalow complex. And he told the police something really interesting, that an hour after he left Ashley's place, he glanced out the window and saw the exterior motion sensor light brighten up the courtyard in front of Ashley's house. He spotted a tall man with light hair walking towards Ashley's bungalow. And the police believe that Ashley knew her killer, but who could it be? And unfortunately, the investigation was thwarted by the fact that there was no DNA of their suspect recovered on the scene. So they have two men who have been intimate with her, Ashton and Mark, both at the crime scene that night. And one of them, Mark, was actually intimate with her that night. So the scenarios that the cops could have been playing in their heads are Mark got jealous because she was potentially going out with Ashton that night, or Ashton caught her caught Mark walking out of the apartment and then went in and did something. Right, and Mark was seeing a woman. Maybe she got jealous and... And it just turned into something bigger. Yeah, there are a million things and it is kind of like a tangled web. Yeah. And so they go through every person in her life and they check the timelines and check the alibis because that's the only thing they've got because they've got no physical evidence. But both of these men, both Mark and Ashton, are cooperating fully. So at this point in the investigation, no leads are really panning out. But this one name keeps coming up as Ashley's loved ones are being questioned. His name is Mike. Mike, the furnace guy, but nobody knew his last name. All they knew was that Mike was around in the neighborhood. He said he worked on furnaces and he kept telling this story about being hit by a cement truck when developers were building the Kodak Theater in Hollywood and Highland, which is right down the street from Ashley's house. And he also said that this accident was going to make him really rich because he filed a lawsuit. That's right. And on a hunch, Detective Small, Tom Small, who is working in this case from the Hollywood division, contacted the construction company that this guy was referring to in his story. And he also contacted the lawyers for Kodak, because if they were suing Kodak, I mean, there must be record of such a lawsuit. But there had been no such accident and neither were being sued. And while no man or pedestrian had been hit in this intersection, 
What the police did uncover was an accident where a dog had been hit by a car in this intersection. That's interesting. So could this be a massive embellishment or a half-truth? And is this Mike guy connected to this accident with this dog? Well, he looked into it because a police report was filed as a result, and the dog owner was Michael Gargiulo. So the cops look into Gargiulo, and they pull his DMV photo, and they show it to Ashley's friends. And they say, yes, that's Mike the Furnace guy. But that's all they have. And Gargiulo seems to have no utilities listed under his name. And anyone who knew who he was, they didn't know where he lived. And then, in what can only be described as a twist of fate, Detective Small with the LAPD got a call from a law enforcement agency from all the way across the country in Cook County, Illinois. On the line was a cold case detective. And this detective had been handed this murder of an 18-year-old Trisha Picaccio, a crime that had occurred in 1993. Now, Trisha's murder occurred prior to the real heavy days of, of using DNA. So in an effort to solve the case, the cold case detectives were collecting swabs of DNA from everyone who had been interviewed in Trisha's original case. And you see this a lot. You go down the list of the people who were suspects in the case. Now that, um, you know, once they discovered that we can figure out DNA, go down, hey, can we swab you? They swab the cheek and then that's it. Right. And in Trisha's case, they had taken swabs from under her fingernails and Luckily, it still boggles my mind that cops before DNA was a thing had the foresight to do this, thinking that they could utilize it later with technology. And this is one of those cases. So they're looking at the list of everybody who was um, who were suspects back then. And who's on the list? Mike Gargiulo, Mike the Furnace Guy. So the gold case detectives from Cook County were calling the LAPD because they needed help tracking Mike down in order to collect DNA from him to test him. They wanted to swab him. So whether you want to call it serendipitous or not, it's truly an extraordinary coincidence that the Cook County cops called the LAPD for help in tracking down the same individual that the LAPD was actually looking for at the same time and looking for to pin on Ashley's murder. It's crazy. That is bonkers. The, The odds of that are just like astronomical. I read an article that talked about the moment Tom Small got this call and he looked at a colleague of his and his jaw dropped. He knew this was their guy. He knew in his gut. But Mike was hard to track down. And it wouldn't be so easy for the LAPD because they, again, didn't have DNA in Ashley's case. But they did try to gather as much information about them as they could. And they tried to assist the Cook County police in tracking him down so that they could subsequently test the DNA. Well, in gathering information about him, the police learn how Ashley and Mike met. It was in the fall of 2001. Ashley and a male friend were standing outside Ashley's bungalow near the male friend's car. They had a flat tire. Then a seemingly nice, good-looking guy offered to help them with the flat. During the small talk that was exchanged, the 25-year-old Mike Gargiulo told them that he was a professional boxer, but had to quit after being electrocuted while fixing an air conditioning unit. At this point, Mike was 25 and already fixing AC units. He gave Ashley his info in case she ever needed anything fixed. Sometime later, Ashley's boiler broke and needed fixing, so they decided to call him. And how much time later is not, that information is not readily available. 
her friend Chris was coming over to pick her up at the house and had parked outside. And then when they came out, his he had he had a flat tire on his car. And then suddenly this guy appeared and and said he could help change the tire. And they saw and he was you know they thought he was good looking or funny and you know wasn't this funny that this guy was going to help him change a tire and. Then they chatted with him, and he gave them his card, heating and air conditioning. And then a couple days later, her her boiler broke, and they decided to call him. Originally, when I heard those facts, I thought this was totally random, and it and you know this all could have been avoided if Chris had taken care of his tires better. <laughs> you know, I sort of like that sounds absurd now, but I thought. Was it that random that he just happened to enter his, her life by chance and this, and because of a tire? But Chris, that Chris told me later when he took his tire in to be repaired, he saw they told him it had been slashed. And that I started to learn that actually he was a like real deal psychopath stalker killer that had been perhaps, you know, surveying her for weeks and maybe months and had he created that entire choreographed scene to enter her life. He had already chosen her as a target. He had already monitored her comings and goings. He slashed the tire. He probably broke the boiler knowing that she would call him. Like this she was all she had been targeted and trapped for a long time before her death. Oh my God. So this is huge information and terrifying information. And when the police hear this this tells them that not only has this guy killed before, but he will kill again. Somebody this deliberate, somebody who's willing to choreograph really a scene to, to insert himself into someone's life. This is a dangerous, dangerous predator. Yeah. And a double insertion too. First doing the car mm-hmm. and then knowing, knowing like, oh, I can jump in and help right then. And then he gives the card. So he he knows the steps. So he's got, he's got the card. Then he then he breaks in. You know, allegedly, but the sounds. Oh, I'm sure. What what are the odds that a couple of days later her boiler breaks? How often does a boiler break? Well, it's really scary because he's pretty much like playing God in this situation, and he finds his prey, and he's like creating this whole storyline almost for himself, where he's controlling everything. What's scary is that he's really good at it. Yeah. And probably acted very organically and sweet. And I'm a good looking, safe guy. I live down the street. Good at it. So at the time that Ashley had met Mike, she was living with a male roommate and all of them were around the same age as Mike was. So Mike started coming around and everybody was kind of friendly with each other. They started doing neighborly favors for one another. And apparently Mike even had his... A uh, friend that was a doctor write a prescription for Ashley's carpal tunnel syndrome. So he was just doing nice, normal favors. Right. And Ashley didn't really think much about him. She was friendly back to him. And some of Ashley's friends, however, thought that he gave off pretty creepy vibes. And guys can be a little bit more perceptive than girls sometimes. Yeah. Either girls are so perceptive that where they think innocent guys are creepy. Or we're kind of oblivious and are like, eh, Oblivious whatever. and guy friends will be like, dude, do you not see this? Yeah. But then Mike really started getting weird. He started parking in front of their house, and he was even confronted by her roommate about it. And his excuse for parking there was that he was, quote, laying low because the police and FBI kept showing up. 
And why were they showing up? Because they wrongfully suspected him of being tied to a murder in Chicago. And then he shows his ankle and he has a hunting knife strapped to his ankle and shows it to them. And this is when Ashley and her roommates start to distance themselves from him. They sort of back away slowly and cautiously. But I will say it is more the roommate. Ashley's still kind of like, whatever, like they're best friends. She's listening to her best friend, but she doesn't necessarily feel scared by him. And the idea is here is like, this guy's, this is a fantasy. No one really believes this where he's, you know, trying to sound cool. Maybe I don't think anyone's paying him that much mind. I mean, Ashley was dating celebrities and had a lot more going on than this repairman down the street. Yeah. So I think it was like, all right, dude, bye. You know, um, whatever. So, the police are learning these things and they're becoming more and more convinced that Mike Gargiulo is involved in Ashley's case and believe they would have evidence to arrest him soon. They're even more baffled to learn that he would freely use this excuse about being suspected of another murder. That's something they had never heard before because they believed him to be connected to this murder because they were in cahoots with the Cook County police. But they really did believe they would arrest him soon. And I was reading papers. I went back to the articles from that week and there's way fewer than you would expect, to be honest. And one of the final articles of the, of the week it happened was an arrest is imminent because I believe by then they knew his name and they were like, oh man, this is our guy. But unfortunately that would not be the case. And in the years that ended up following Ashley's murder, the identity of her killer remained elusive to the public. And it's understandable that those who had loved her were aching for these answers. And it's at this time that Carolyn became compelled to write a book about her friendship with Ashley and her quest for answers in her case. Carolyn had become a journalist and was writing for New York Magazine when she started working on this project. It was a book that she'd eventually call The Hot One about her friendship with Ashley and her quest for answers in this case. People's paths in life are very, it's all very complicated and interconnected. And the fact is, I do believe that we have no idea how Ashley's life would would have turned out. And the life that she was leaving, living at the time of her death, I think, most likely would have transitioned into something else. So I want to make it clear that I don't think, you know, oh, she was do a sex worker and doing drugs and therefore she met, you know, a violent killer and that's just how it goes. That's not how it goes. I I think that it's a lot, it's a lot more subtle. And I think one of the big reasons I wanted to, what I wanted to explore in my book and what I want to keep talking about is how so many of the stories that we hear about crime, we only get a stereotypical or kind of, um, one-dimensional portrayal of the victim. And what I wanted to show is how nuanced and complicated it all is, and that Ashley had a lot of people in her life that knew very different sides of her. And the fact is, yes, at the end of her life, she was doing drugs and was supposed to be going on a date with Ashton Kutcher. But she was also someone that's remembered in childhood as playing piano duets and hiking and painting and uh, had... You know, it was very well-educated and from a good family. And uh, who knows what would have happened six months later if she hadn't died. And I think what I, what I was really hoping for with my book is to kind of show 
how complicated the sort of steps are that can make up someone's identity and the fact is a murder just sort of cuts it off at a fixed point but that's not you know who she all she was and it, it's not and the you know the biggest the saddest thing is there's no telling what she could have been unfortunately more happened during this time that mike remained free more women died my family's been waiting for justice for trisha's murder for 17 years with what we know today michael gargiulo may be a serial killer we, we've had the hardest time figuring out why this is happening the way it's happening, why they haven't pursued this. To me, and being on the inside, it seems somewhat political. I think that they would have, may, maybe have to admit that some mistakes were made. It's easier to ignore something that, that isn't close to them than to actually do the right thing. Trisha greatly resembled uh, the other victims here in California. And the reason why Mike was not apprehended is tragic, incomprehensible, and truly unforgivable. So the murder of Ashley Ellerin is horrific. It is inconceivable for those who love her. But unfortunately, this case gets so much worse. And the amount of pain and loss of life that spider webs off of Mike Gargiulo is not, it's too long for one episode. So we're going to cover the rest of his crimes in part two of the story. And we will have Carolyn Mernick with us for that episode as well. And we briefly referenced that the reasons that Mike Gargiulo remained free were unforgivable. And we'll elaborate on that just a tad. The political powers that be in this case made some very egregious decisions and essentially gave Mike years more out on the streets to destroy other lives. And that's exactly what he did. All right. Until next week, if you guys have a story to tell, please write us. Hello at thefirstdegreepodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at thefirstdegree, at Alexis Linkletter, at Billy Jensen, at Jack Vanek. Join our secret, super secret Facebook group. Just search The First Degree in the search bar. We're talking all things true crime all the time. And we are still running our contest on Instagram. Give us a five-star review. Write us some funny things. And we will pick a winner every week to get some first degree merch and if you want to stick around we are going to kill some time and talk about our ideal adult halloweens so until next week remember only you can prevent serial killers and keep your friends close but But not not that that close happy haunted refrigerator day don't text your ex or do and show us what the text was have a spooky halloween tryst with your ex Sources for today's episode include Carolyn's book, The Hot One, Court Documents, 48 Hours, The LA Times, LA Weekly, CBS Chicago. But as always, our first degree interview is always our biggest source. Everybody loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. So it's going to take you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. I'm really feeling this because Lex and I both 
are really like into Gatsby stuff right now. So I am loving the vibe of this game. And you're going to step into the role as June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. It's perfect for all of the firsties out there. There's mystery, danger, and romance as you search for hidden objects from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris. And you can customize your very own luxuries of state island. Think expansive gardens and beautiful buildings and collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. No prepping, no cooking, or cleanup needed. There's over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Get started today and get after your goals. Plus, Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. For me, I was really struggling to get enough protein. I always do. But Factor's meals are protein-packed, and they're so good. And it's so easy when I'm slammed busy working in the middle of the day to just have lunch right there, not needing to do anything, except heat it up. Head to factormeals.com slash firstdegree50 and use code DEGREE50 to get 50% off. That's code DEGREE50 at factormeals.com slash firstdegree50 to get 50% off. All right, welcome to the killing, killing time. time. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> when are you going to stop it? I don't know. Yeah, it's Halloween candy edition. I just love, you're such a good, I mean, I love you so much, but I never get an opportunity to provoke you. <laughs> Ever. And this is the only time. You have lots of opportunities to provoke me. I just don't think many things provoke me. That's the thing. That's right. Except for this. This this somehow you're pushing back on. You just doesn't I, you feel know, right. I'm getting back. I'm getting back at you for telling me i didn't write bitches in the bathroom because i was like you were fucking with me right like oh you are in my memory to me it you were not there that's insane i'm literally you think you i'd ever be there you'd be with my boyfriend without me like that's what's crazy about it maybe no lived with us yes but when i was there i don't know that's crazy and it takes a long time to write a song i was there but I did write this song while I was taking a sound class for college. So I was kind of doing it for a class-ish, but not really. I was also in piano at that time. <laughs> okay. Oh my God, shut right. up. I am a pianist. No, you're not. All right. Yes, I am. <gasps> Play a fucking song right I don't now. have a piano right <laughs> yeah. now. You're such a liar. Why would I lie to you? You're not a pianist. Okay, no, but I know how to play the piano. You do? Sure. How well? Pretty well. What and songs the flute, can you play? And the saxophone, and the piccolo. <laughs> All this right. Is well, <laughs> this is the Halloween candy edition of Killing Time. Comma this is the. I'm, I'm a one woman band. <laughs> get, the, get out of here. Get out. Am I fired? 
Yeah. Oh my god. Imagine if Alexis got fired from the podcast. Really? What would we do? <laughs> I don't know. Quit we, the podcast. We would just, it would be done. I think we would pretty. Much, it would just be pretty much like this is right now. <laughs> yeah, but it'd probably do better than how it is now. But like, at least we cut the fat. The person with no followers <laughs> who can't promote it does everything. That's what, you know. That's, I'm the brains of the operation. I'm, I'm the beauty. And I'm the brawn. <laughs> I'm the beauty too. <laughs> but in but in that conversation, you're the brains and beauty. He's the brawn, and you're the bark. And I'm the beauty. No, and you're the bark. <laughs> you're the bark. What the fuck is the bark? Fucking bark. What is bark? Like you've the fucking pull. Oh, I have. Oh, like emotional bark. Yeah, I was thinking about bark on a tree. No, I like a mm. bark. Oh, I've got the bark. Yeah, I'll yeah. be the bark. I'm beauty and brains. <laughs> I'm glad we sorted yeah. that out. Yeah. So I don't agree with you're that. beauty and bark. I'm beauty and brains. And you're uh Billy's giving up on his question. He's got I'm height. Done. He's got height. I've got, and I'm the tall guy. Yeah. Billy yeah, can see over all the peons. Yeah. yeah. Right. What was your question? Peon? <sighs> that's a good word. Yeah. I don't know if we had that conversation yet, though. <laughs> I don't that's, that's the next one. That's next week. God damn it. Okay. <laughs> Billy, what are we talking about today? We're we are about- talking about our favorite Halloween candy, and I'm also going to give you some Halloween candy myths. And also, Ooh. you know, people always talk about when you are um, uh, going, you know, trick-or-treating, you, I could never eat the candy while we were out trick-or-treating. You had to bring it back. And my mom used to have to go through every piece of candy to make sure Razor that there blades. was nothing yeah. weird in them. Uh, did your mom do that? Not that I remember. Yeah. My mom doesn't love me, so no. Okay. So <laughs> my mom loves me, but I don't maybe maybe she did. I have a my memory of my childhood is so fuzzy. Very I very think I, fuzzy. No, my mom loved me. I think she was just like, Yeah, eat whatever candy you fucking want. Yeah. So they always say that. So now here are the the instances of that going on there. So the only known case of poison candy was when Ronald Clark O'Brien took out a life insurance policy against his daughter and son. And in 1974, he was actually sentenced to death for poisoning his son's Halloween candy with cyanide. <gasps> and he would become known by fellow prisoners before his death as the Candyman. The Candyman. Reminds me of the Aqua song. Oh, my love. I know you are my Candyman. And oh, my love. Okay. I did not know that Aqua had another song other than Barbie Girl. Oh, they have many. Oh, wow. Oh. I'll play it for you That guys. guy was also... Oh, is that true? I think so. We can't tell you what Jacqueline just said, but it was not good. If you want to look up Aqua. No, 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 no. That was Ace of Base. Okay, so Aqua's fine. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. Ace of we Base, didn't say what it was. Ace of so. Base has a sketchy past. Yeah. That uh, does not surprise me. Um, anyways, okay, so. But in, two, in 2000. That's the only. That's well, the only in 2000, case? James Joseph, as far as poisoning goes, James Joseph Smith of Minneapolis was giving out candy bars in which he had hid needles. One boy uh, who ate the candy was pricked by the needle, but no medical attention was necessary. And uh, police charged Smith with one count of adulterating a substance with intent to cause death, harm, or illness. And these are facts that I got from uh, TrueCrimeDaily.com, but I actually did this infographic, so, it's, so I wrote it's it. At the point, from, back from me. So, so actually, I'm just sor- I'm sourcing it, but I was working for somebody else at the time. So this is facts but, that I'm pulling from Billy Jensen's brain. Yeah. <laughs> but um, what is your favorite Halloween candy? Oh, that's like a specific Halloweeny candy. I like a chocolate. Like, what do you like? What would you be excited about when you uh, were trick or treated and you got something? I'm just like a Snickers gal. I'm very. I don't like candy. I only like chocolates. It's like a Snickers or a Twix or Milky Way. Twix, really? Kit Kit. 
when I was younger, Kit Kat was my favorite because I love to bite them and like peel the layers yeah. apart. You know what I, okay, so for Twix, this is so gross. No, it's not that gross. But I used to get Twix and then I used to get um, pretzels and then I would scoop all of the chocolate and caramel up mm-hmm. and then eat that and then eat the little wafer separately. Mm-hmm. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. That's was, okay. That's not as gross that. as I thought it was in my mind. No, no, no. I mean, I used to do that with Hostess cupcakes. Just take off the, you know, you eat Hostess the Hostess cupcakes. Eat the top of the, of the cupcake first. For your boomer. Yeah. God, those are, <laughs> I'm not a boomer. I'm a Gen Xer. I'm not a boomer. Jesus. Gen X isn't real. It's just boomers. Boomers are like <laughs> it's young boomers. No, you're a young boomer where it's like all the food has preservatives in it. Yeah, you only <laughs> ate Twinkies. That's you eat Lunchables. You eat McDonald's. You are the quintessential boomer. That's not a boomer. You eat Twinkies and my dad was a boomer. My mom was a boomer. The boomers were after everybody got back from the war. Everybody just had tons of sex and had tons of kids. That's what the boomers were. And would they feed those kids? Hostess yes. cupcakes. And then those and kids TV had. Then, th- then those people had kids. And then we came out. And that's us. Gen we're Gen X. Well, no, you're the, we, you're the we kids created, of a boomer. We, we, we created grunge. What's. <laughs> that's right. What's the. You ride, the, that, you ride and the, the flip phone. Co- coattail as long as you can. What was the. Um, what's the generation above Gen X? Boomers? Or is yeah. there one in the middle? No, it went boomers, Gen X. So my parents are boomers. Your parents are boomers, yeah. Okay. I, yeah, probably. Yeah, because your parents are older. Yeah, but they're cool. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, I'm not <laughs> judging me. <laughs> so. What's your favorite Halloween candy, Billy? Reese's. Oh, I forgot you about Reese's. Go with the Reese's. Yeah. Reese's. I thought it was Reese's. 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 Reese's, Reese's monkey. What? Reese's monkeys. What's that? I don't know. It's a type of monkey. But yeah, no. Uh, Reese's, uh, that's the perfect candy bar. Actually, minis. I like. I don't like the minis because Why? the ratio. Too much chocolate. No, the ratio is bad. Yeah, See, I, think I actually, I actually think. Sorry, the the pumpkins or the uh, the tree, the Christmas tree ones are the best ones. Oh, yeah. Oh. There's a lot. The, the the ratio. There's a lot more peanut butter to chocolate in those, and those are perfect. See, I don't like when you get into the middle of like a Reese's, the actual cup, and then it's mostly peanut butter and barely any chocolate. Mm. That's where I feel like the ratio has gone wrong. I don't like Reese's. Why? You like peanut butter mm. and chocolate? I'm not. I don't really like any of that stuff anymore. I like. Uh, I don't love it. I don't. Lo- it's it's not too like, sweet. I like a dark chocolate. Yeah, but like if you're gonna have a candy, and you had to have like a like a typical Halloweeny candy, Oreo McFlurry. So Oreo, Oreo McFlurry is a drink from McDonald's. I know, <laughs> but like that's the only really sweet thing I would eat. Like I don't really like candy. I hate to be like put the kibosh on this fun. Wow. <laughs> I want a cheese plate. Okay, so this if, is not a cheese plate conversation. I'm sorry. No, so so ideally in your Orbit. world on Halloween, you would go trick or treating, and they would give out Tooth cheese, brushes. toothbrushes, oh my and God, cheese. Little blocks of cheese. Could you imagine? I would love that. Mm-hmm. Each place, or like a little uh, laga salami, <laughs> mm-hmm. some and dried then a, meat, a little mini <laughs> bottle of alcohol, yes. dried cured meats. Yeah, and little uh, oh. minis. Yes, a dried meat and alcohol, and maybe like a little packet of medication, like oh, like like Xanax. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) it's like I'll be hungover. Little bottles of wine. You know what? We need to come up with some kind of an adult trick or treating situation. It's a great idea. It's such a great idea where you do get fun mini things like that. I love. I mean, they 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 call adult Halloween Halloween in some neighborhoods where like the parents will like give you a beer or something if you're out with your kids but no i need no, an we adult want, we want like an adult, yeah exactly where you go to every house that you go to it's going to be something 
different like that. Like yeah. you get the, the little mini bottles from the airplane. You get like a hundred dollars get... out of debt. Get like a thong from Victoria's Secret. <laughs> <laughs> what else do we need as an adult? You get you get a free oil change. Yeah, you know, I always need a roll of quarters for my laundry. Yeah. No, or you could just yeah get a you laundry <laughs> you my own do, unit, Jack. It's on my to do list. Or you can or, yeah, or you give them the, your laundry and then they actually do your laundry oh, for you. A fluff and fold. Yes. Yes. For yeah. I like Free this oil idea. change. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> like a gift, certific- gift certificate to Valvoline facial poor ex- uh, poor extractions. Oh, you just go and just get a few extractions. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and then the next place Diva yeah. Cup. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Billy needs a, a pap di- smear. Billy needs a Diva Cup. <laughs> Billy, do you know what a Diva Cup is? What is a Diva Cup? Do you need Would a pap smear? Do you need a pap smear? No, guess what a Diva no. Cup is. What is a Diva Cup? Was this a question at the Lady Gang live show? Yes, it was. Yeah. Yes. What is a diva I, I, cup? I, I imagine it's a cup that uh, uh, catches menses. Ew. Don't call it menses. menses? Oh, my God. <laughs> menses. I was using the correct terminology. What is, what is menses? Like menstrual period Ew. blood. Just call it menstrual blood. Okay. Just call it period blood. Or menses. Menses sounds sick. <laughs> sick. I've never had a more disgusted reaction to anything in my menses life. Menses is now my new least favorite word. That's Ugh, sick. I want to die. And by the way, that's the question for next week. <laughs> <laughs> I want to die. I want to barf. Billy? Yeah. Billy's favorite word is menses. No, it's I not. I just want to sign that up. Is not, that is not. It is your favorite that word. That is not Billy the case. Menses Jensen. Oh, yeah. No, I was almost going to say Vanek. Well, you guys are. are you, well, my Billy dad, Menses Vanek. My dad's name is Bill. So it makes more sense. Right. That's, Billy Menses Vanek's good. Billy Menses link letter is disgusting. <laughs> Somebody out there's last name is Menses. There is some, I sw- there is somebody out there whose last name is Menzies. There's some, look it up. What, There's somebody gonna, out there whose gonna... last name is everything. I or... wish my last name was Cock. <laughs> oh my God. My name is Alexis Cock. It's so fucking commanding. Everyone pays attention to you. That's so... I'm going to change it. Cock. I'm going to put it on my Instagram. Alexis Cock. cock. Maybe right. Cock like hyphen link letter. Alexis Cockling, yeah, right. that's so weird. It's good. Cock. Can't wait to see the logo. Cocky, cocky, link letter. And then your TV show is going to be called She's Cocky. Oh my god, so good. Stand by. <laughs> okay. Stay tuned. Stay tuned for that. All right. All right. Well, oh. this started out as a uh, lovely episode of talking about the joys and poison- <laughs> poisoning Halloween candy. And ended on that. That's showbiz, though, baby. It goes, it's unruly. It takes us where we're not sure we're going, and it reams us when we're down. And it spits us out. And then we're miserable after, and that's what's going to happen. And that, that is fucking showbiz. That's showbiz, baby. That razzle dazzle. Thanks for the killing time joining us. Signing off, Billy Menzies. <laughs> Billy Menzies Jensen, Alexis Cock Linkletter, and Jacqueline. Give me a name, give me a name, give me a name. Jacqueline Moist Vanek. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sick. You're most welcome. Bye. Bye. Say bye. Oh, goodbye. <laughs>
You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.